Good morning. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation this morning. One of the most recognizable faces in Western society is the face of Abraham Lincoln. In the United States, his face can be seen on currency. It can be seen on monuments. However, the symbol of his face is not held as a standard for beauty or for handsomeness. When Abraham Lincoln was younger, one thing he enjoyed doing was going for horse rides. He would ride through the valleys and the trails in and around where he lived. One day while he was on one of these horse rides, he came across a young woman who was also riding. As it was the gentlemanly thing to do, you would slow down and give your greeting. While this greeting was being received, the young woman stared at him intensely and puzzled at him. After a few minutes of awkward silence, the young woman finally spoke. She said, why, I believe you are the ugliest man I have ever seen. <laughs> Lincoln responded in the wit that he has, that's maybe so, but there is nothing I can do about it. After a moment, the young woman responded, well, I guess it is true, but you could stay away inside some more often. If Lincoln heeded that advice, people would have failed to benefit from his actions. How many people would lose a positive role model that demonstrates traits that are far superior than physical appearance? In a similar way, we are told by our society to keep our faith at home. We are told, keep it in private. We don't want to hear it or see about it. Your faith should be something that stays in your home, someone could say. But if we do this, how might that hurt those around us? How many lives could be destroyed if we remain silent? Today we are going to look at a passage where Peter had a choice. He could follow God's leading or he could remain silent. In Acts chapter 10 it says... At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and, to God, and he prayed to God regularly. On one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called his two servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Our story opens in this town called Caesarea. This town was a relatively new town at this time, and it was built by Herod the Great. This town was built to be the center of the Roman government in the new Judea. This town was the new Roman capital city for this area. It is this place of Roman administrative power we find Cornelius, the scripture tells us that he was a natural-born Italian. He wasn't conquered into the Roman Empire. He was not adopted into the Roman Empire. He was naturally born there, who was also a high-ranking military officer. 
I want you to picture this is who Peter was going to be asked to speak to. He was in the town of Roman power, a high-ranking military officer, and a natural-born Roman. He was a pure symbol of Roman oppression to the area. However, Luke does not want us to solely focus on Cornelius' background. Luke wanted to highlight his family and his devotion to God. Luke points out that he gave generously to the poor. He had a devoted prayer life. Although we and some others would see him as a devoted follower of God, the Jews in Palestine and the Christians in the same area would not see him as a follower of God. Acts 3.11 makes it clear Lord Cornelius had not taken the sign of the covenant of circumcision. He was not a proselyte, which is a Gentile, who accepted the Jewish religion, including circumcision. He was merely a God-fearer. Such people were still regarded no differently than the pagans. This would have been Peter's view of him. However, God does not look at us the way other people look at us. Miriam had her sights set on becoming a concert singer, a challenge that was doubly difficult because of the color of her skin. Her mother, however, had a patient trust in God. When Miriam was denied a mission to the famous conservatory on account of her race, her mother calmly said someone would be raised up to help her accomplish what she had hoped to do. That someone arrived only a few weeks later. One of Philadelphia's most astounding voice teachers made room for her to become one of his students. Marion Anderson was on her way to becoming one of the most magnificent, magnificent singers of the 20th century. God does not look at us the way other people look at us. For Cornelius, God sees his devotion and sends an angel so that he may hear about Jesus. Now, the angel could have just told him about Jesus. I'm sure Cornelius would have listened. But that's not how God works. God works primarily through his own people. God goes out of his way to include us in his mission It is a great blessing, but it is also a great responsibility. Now, the angel gave Cornelius instructions to seek out Peter, who was in Joppa, roughly about 50 kilometers away. He immediately called for two servants to deliver the message and a God-fearing soldier to protect them on their journey. The protection demonstrated how seriously and how much he valued sending this message to Peter. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. 
Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Here we have a shift in the passage from Cornelius to Peter. The following day, Cornelius's following day after Cornelius' meeting with the angel, Peter went up to the roof to pray. While in prayer and waiting for a meal to be cooked, isn't it amazing how God uses common day things like hunger, the smell of yummy food, to teach us something? Now here, he had a vision. Now I want to pause for a moment here. This vision is often used by people to talk about ending of the Old Testament food laws or connecting what Paul was talking about in the Corinthians regarding offering food to idols. Can we eat it? Here, this is not the main purpose of this vision. Now, in this vision, we see God is lowering a blanket containing many animals, reptiles, and birds. Many of these, according to the Old Testament food laws, would be unclean, unacceptable. These are not worthy to be eaten by any devout Jew. God told Peter three times to get up and eat. Peter replied, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Here is the main point what God says. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now we'll go look at the next part of the passage. And spoiler alert, here comes the unclean. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into this house to be his guest. Here Peter comes face to face with what God is asking him to do. The servants and the soldiers that Cornelius had sent now arrived. Peter, what are you going to do? Later in the chapter, verse 28 says that a Jew is forbidden to associate with a Gentile. Gentiles are unclean and unworthy of a Jewish's time or presence. As we said earlier, even a God-fear was seen as a pagan. You are not to associate with them. Who, what, this was a great challenge to Peter. I wonder sometimes if we are no different Are we as a church and individuals no different than Peter? Are there people in our circles who we find dirty, disgusting, and simply unworthy? Are there people we do not share God's love with or our time because they simply to us are unworthy? When reflecting upon this question, I find there's three general groups of people that we find often unworthy of the gospel. The first group of people are those that have done something terrible, people who have done something horrible to us or another person. For many people, these people deserve to be punished, 
They deserve to be removed from the face of the earth or thrown a hole somewhere, locked up and forgotten. Often we want these people to be punished and we want God to get them. If you've ever experienced feelings like this, then you can sympathize with what Jonah was going through. God had asked Jonah, a prophet, to preach to the people of Nineveh, asking them to repent. The people of the city were the worst kind you can imagine. Why don't you take a moment and picture some of the horrible things that people have done to others. The people of Nineveh did that and more. I will not go into detail of what they were known to do because I do not want to glorify their evil. But the city of Nineveh was nicknamed the city of blood and it was well-deserved. Jonah did not want to preach to these people because they deserved to be punished for what they had done. If God wiped them off the face of the earth, no one would see it other than justice had been done. Jonah did not want to preach to them. Here is the major point, and for those who see God of the Old Testament different than God of the New Testament, let me show you something here. Jonah did not want to preach to the people because he knew God would forgive them. And he did not want God to forgive them. He saw them as unclean, unworthy. Now, as a quick side note, you as a person, if you are facing somewhere that is unsafe, being around certain people who may harm you as a family, you need to be in a safe place. So do not face these people. Do not minister to these people. You need to be safe. Let other people do it for you. However, for the rest of us, do we have people we don't want forgiven? Are they unworthy of the gospel? A second group of people we often find unworthy are those who make us uncomfortable or get us upset. I find the easiest example of this is those who oppose Christian ideas on abortion or homosexuality. Often these groups will call us names, accuse us of being hateful, incite us to respond in a similar manner. The disciples experienced this firsthand in the Gethsemane Garden. When Jesus' followers saw he was going, what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear, and it was healed. In our anger, we often lash out in our fighting, fighting for our position. Now, it is important to stand up for what is right. It is important for us to hold what is true and dear. However, when we begin to teach, treat, I mean, the opposing sides in the way that does not reflect Christ's love. Is the person who supports abortion, abortion unworthy of the gospel presented in love? Are they the only worthy to be fought with? Are they worthy or unworthy to us? A third group of people 
we often find unworthy are those who go around us unnoticed. These people may be in poverty, but they also may be the wealthy. Maybe it is the young. Maybe it is the elderly. Maybe it is people of other nationalities, other religions. Maybe it is the nice or good people, but they don't know Jesus. Maybe it is the neighbor who you pass by and wave to each and every day, but you've never actually spoken to. Are they not worthy? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What we offer to others, we offer it to Jesus. Who around you may go unnoticed? Who around you may be seen as unworthy? As we return to our main passage, we left Peter with a decision. Does he connect and minister to the unclean? The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of them of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell in his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Let me say this. If you walk away with anything today, walk away with this. Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God makes everyone worthy. Our worth is not based on us. It is not based on what other thinks. The person God makes worthy is worthy. Through the cross, all are made worthy and all around us are made worthy. Worthy. Willingway Hospital is one of the U.S. top treatment centers for alcoholism and drug addiction. There would be no Willingway, however, if there were not for John and Dot Mooney, who at one time seemed the least likely candidates to find such a hospital. Early in their courtship, John, a doctor, and Dot, a nurse, drank heavily. And after they married, they began taking amphetamines. 
Eventually, John was arrested for writing himself narcotic, narcotic prescriptions to feed his and Dot's addictions. John spent six months in prison, eventually falling on his knees and crying out to God for help. Several years later, when John returned to medical practice drug-free and alcohol-free, he began to receive referrals from other doctors to treat their alcohol patients. John and Dot set up three beds under their chandelier in their own dining room as a detox room. Among their patients have been three of their own four children, each whom struggled with addictions. As the word of their compassion spread, John and Dot established a 40-bed hospital on 11 acres close to their home. The chandelier still hangs in the detox room as a symbol of hope. All four children have worked some way in the Willing House, and his family has truly become a family in full recovery and a great minister with God's help. Who is worthy? Often we place limits on this that God does not. Who is worthy? People whom God makes worthy. I encourage us today to take time as we close to think about who in your circle, the people you encounter either at work, around your house, or wherever you find yourself, we may treat as if they're unworthy. Are there any less worthy to hear the experience of Christ? Just because they're nice people, we don't tell them about Jesus That's how they're made unworthy because we don't tell them. Maybe they're undesirable. Maybe we want bad things to happen to them. I encourage us to ask God to help you see those around you and to help you demonstrate his love to them in a very real and very practical way.